Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Uh, as an avid reader, I'm always looking for uh, the next big read or the next exciting read. And so I was at a local bookstore recently, and I saw a book called The Butcher and the Wren. And I was like, this looks really fascinating. The more I looked into it, the more I was like, yeah, this book is exactly right up my alley. And so I am thrilled that the author, Elena Urquhart, is joining me uh, today on the Story Blender. She's a science-loving co-host of the podcast Morbid. As an autopsy technician by trade, uh, paired with her degrees in criminal justice, psychology, and biology, she offers a unique perspective from deep inside the morgue. Uh, Elena hails from Boston, where she lives with her wonderful husband, John, and three amazing daughters and a ghost puggle named Bailey. I don't know exactly what a ghost <laughs> puggle is, but it frightens me just a little bit. So she <laughs> says she's about 75% coffee and truly believes that she and Agent Clarice Starling could be friends. In September of last year, uh, she published her first ever novel, the psychological thriller, The Butcher and the Wren. And Elena, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I love that you've studied the intersection of criminal, uh, criminal science, criminal justice, also psychology and biology. Um, what's the um, thing that drew you to all those three fields? Like, was there one sort of nexus where they met and you're like, literally, that is my interest area? You know what? I think it, I've always been interested in like horror and mm. spooky thing, like things that <laughs> made me uncomfortable kind of. And so that naturally led into reading about true crime and reading true crime cases. And I was always really drawn to not so much the why, but like more the intent always drew me. And like, that's really scary to me. And also the medical examiner side of it yeah. was, were the two things that I was always like way more interested in learning about. And I feel like all those things kind of meld together in like psychology, criminal sociology, <laughs> like biology, like all of those things have to go together for you to understand anything about it. I, I'm fascinated when you said just a moment about why and intent. And so I, let's just talk about that for a second. Like a lot of um, authors really focus a lot on motive, like what was the driving force behind it. And, and very often they'll have a flashback when there's yeah. a moment in the killer's, let's say, past, wherever someone, you know, pushed him on the playground and he fell down <laughs> and now he's a serial killer because of yeah. that. And you're just like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're like, all right. So, yeah, I know, right? And so people, some authors are very focused on that. Others on intent, like what you said, what are they they trying to accomplish um, in this book, in this scene, and so on like that. That's a fascinating thing for you to mention, because I think it's subtle, and I think it's really actually kind of important for authors to sort of differentiate the why are they doing it. And you know what? Like, maybe that's interesting, and maybe it's important, but what's, I think, a lot of times more important is like, what are they trying to do in this scene? Attack someone. All right, we got to stop them. Why are yeah. they doing it? 
I don't know. I mean, nature, nurture. I mean, maybe it's a exactly. mixture. I mean, yeah. And I think that's scarier when you don't know why. Yeah. That is so much scarier to me when it's just like, because I want to, yeah. or like, because I want to do this. Like that's, there's nothing that happened that made me do this. I just want to. And I think that like motive to me, and when you read like real cases, even, mm-hmm. or you, you know, look into any case file, there's not always a clear motive or a clear why, or, you know, or clear background that you look at that you go, oh, okay, that's why they became, they did. A lot of times you go, no one saw that coming. Mm-hmm. No one around them saw that coming. Nothing was strange. They didn't get hit on the head. They didn't get bullied. Their mom wasn't terrible. Like, it's just like, they had a normal upbringing and they turned into this monster anyway. Yeah. No, that is, and that's kind of frightening. Um, you know, it, I think it is a little more frightening than when you boil it down to the idea of like people choose their direction and yeah. they obviously need to be held accountable for that. When you were talking about that, it made me think of one of the bad guys in one of my books, the Knight. actually the hero says to him at the end, he's like, why are you doing this? Like he's killing people, you know? And, the guy just thinks about it for a second. He goes, it's interesting to watch people die. And I'm like, that is and so that is chilling terrifying. to me. To me, yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, when I wrote like, that line, yeah. I'm like, this guy terrifies me. That's horror to me. Like, that is yeah. truly, the, I just, think it's like you think of in, you know, the first Scream movie. Yeah. I think Billy Loomis says it. It's a lot scarier when there's no motive. And it's true. Oh, yeah, interesting. It's the yeah. truth. Yeah, I love. Um, so, okay, well, let's talk about fear for a sec. How in your, okay, how in your story do you create a sense, like an atmosphere, a chilling kind of scary, um, uh, I guess, scene or atmosphere? What are some of the things that you did to build kind of that fear motive really up in your story? I think my one of my favorite things to write is texture hmm. in a book. Like I like smells and sights <laughs> and sounds. And I I think if you really like it's you have to like build layers of those things for someone. Like I want to feel like I'm in that character's shoes. Yeah. I put myself in those characters' shoes. I think about what my body would be doing, what my brain would be doing, what would be what I would hear around me, what I would feel, what I would like zone in on most. And those are the things I really focus on because I think those are the things that that can give you that sense of fear because you feel like you're in that bayou with him. You know what I mean? You feel like you're in the forest. You feel like you're in his house. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting for me when I think about m- the mood of a story, the mood of a scene. So like years ago, I guess I was working on a book and I was just thinking of the idea like, um, so descriptions or details are not necessarily there just to help you see what's happening. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think they're there to actually help you feel something toward what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So it isn't just like if you're writing and you say, oh, there was a red sign by the side of the road. So what? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. But if you're like, it was Valentine's Day red or something, you're like, oh, well, that's a happy kind of thing or whatever. Yeah, it connects it. Yeah. Or it might be like it was dry, it was like faded red and looked like it had been painted with dried blood. All of a sudden, now you're like, that's totally different than and you can picture that. Like I, know, I can right? see that stop sign now. Yeah. So I think I think great writers are able to do that to capture that mm-hmm. 
moment, the mood, evocative kind of feelings um, within, yeah, yeah, within their stories. And, and I think you need to like really, in order to. Sometimes it's hard to do that when you're not, when you're writing and you're just like, I'm not seeing this hmm. as clear as I want to. So sometimes it's best just like if you're if you're in that mode. At least for me, I usually like just walk away for a second and come back and try to place myself there again. If I'm not getting that like texture that I really want to. I like how you say texture. That's cool. And yeah, even stepping away for a moment or a minute or hour, whatever it might be, and coming back, that helps me as well. You know, yeah. and I don't know. You're into it. You're super into it. All of a sudden you step back for a second. You're like, oh, okay. I never quite thought of it like that. Yeah. Or, you see it differently. And sometimes I need to listen to music sometimes if I'm stuck. It puts you me back to, in the uh, music with words or like just instrumental kind of soundtrack stuff. I can do a little bit of both. It's mm. it depends on the kind of song. If it's I can't, it's got to be a very specific song with words for me to be able to have it on while I'm writing. But I can a little bit. If I listen to words, I stand. I tend to start typing what they're singing. I'm like the cats <laughs> in the cradle sense. and the silvers. What am I doing? Girl? And you're like, wait, <laughs> what's going on? So. Yeah, I usually listen to more like electronic uh, kind of EDM, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it goes back and forth. Sometimes it'll be words, but yeah, I, you I be in the right time. sing along or whatever. <laughs> um, do you listen to different types of music for different scenes? Like some people do like really action oriented for action scenes or really kind of scarier, you know, music. I stay in like a pretty... I have like a very specific vibe of music that I usually write and it's got to be like haunting, but oh. also like have a little bit of something to it. Like I, you know, I'll listen to, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was like. Oh, I was listening to, you know, the placebos version of running up that hill while I was writing the other day. Oh. It's that Kate Bush song that's on Stranger Things, but it's a different version of it. Oh, that's and it's a little like... Yeah. And it was like the perfect, that to me, it was like the perfect song to write to. I don't know why. I literally want to go listen to it. I'll have to check that out. It's right a good here. one. So, yeah. yeah, it's by Placebo. It's really good. <laughs> I did a book called Placebo years ago. Oh, I love that name. That was super, I mean, this is completely off track, but anyway, oh, <laughs> it was super interesting for me, just the idea that like your thoughts can help heal you or like, yeah. You know, someone can actually have like a limb amputated if they think they're getting morphine or whatever and feel no pain. Yeah. Um, just Your because brain is of wild. Their thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because of their thoughts. It's such That's a wild concept. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, thoughts can be negative too. And um, mm -hmm. so that whole thing, it just, it's super fascinating to me how, you know, thoughts stories that we believe affect the way that we look at the world and how the world is and um, yeah yeah even quantum mechanics kind of has that right like if you expect to find something like the way that light will travel or whatever it will do it like your expectations mm -hmm. affect reality what yeah it's like how does that work I know I want to have like the expectation <laughs> that I sell you know 100 million copies of my next book but just manifest. It hasn't worked like that yet. <laughs> I don't know why. It's all about manifesting. I know, right? <laughs> um, so let's talk about story for a second. Like when you 
work on a story um, or maybe when you read a story, what really draws you in? What, what would you say are like some of the core elements of great stories? I definitely think, like I said, like texture is definitely huge for me. I like to read it and I also like to write it hmm. because I just, I need to feel like I'm there. Yeah. If I feel like I'm like a, like a passive watcher of a story, I'm not as engaged with it. But if I feel like I, and I need to like both love and hate the characters. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Like I need to, I, I need to have some that I hate, but that like still matter to me in some way. You know what I mean? I think that way with like movies too, I need to have some kind of connection, whether it's yeah. negative or positive to a character. Otherwise it feels like a throwaway. A lot of people will say, you know, like you, like a lot of advice out there for writers is you have to have a likable character or whatever. And I get where people are coming from, but like I always, there are some characters in movies or books where they're not super likable, yeah. but irresistible. Like exactly. I not turn away from mm -hmm. this character. And so, um, you know, like I, I kind of like what you said, you know, it's like love them or hate them or maybe both at the same time, but feel strongly toward them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that that I think is a great kind of insight. Now, people who are working on books, sometimes they'll create a character. Maybe I'll read it to, I don't know, give them critique or something. And I don't feel anything toward the character, like the main character or something. And, you know, I'll say, well, why did you create them like this? Or why are they, you know, in this way? And so often people will start a story with a character who's maybe flat or or judgy or um, whiny or cowardly or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, his character arc is that at the end he's likable yeah. and he's not whiny and he's not a coward and he's a courageous." Kind and you're of like, "That's person. great, but <laughs> but I'm never going to get to the end because like yeah. I can't stand being with this character." So exactly, yeah. So I think it's really you know super important to make the character somehow at the beginning intriguing, irresistible. So we can't turn away. And yeah. 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 We need to have some, some kind of strong emotional reaction to you. Yeah. yeah. Did that, uh, were there any characters when you were writing this novel that really surprised you maybe in your reaction to them um, when, when you were working on the book? I would say, you know, Jeremy is definitely the one that to me, I took like the most roller coaster with because mm. I, I'm in his head and I tried to put everybody in his head. So it had to be a place where it was horrifying, obviously because of who he is, but it also had to be a place where you were like kind of interested in being there. <laughs> like you were just, so it was, a, that was a, a, like a fascinating one to write for me at least because it was towing that line between making him completely irredeemable hmm. and just someone that you were like, Ugh, like just take him out. I don't want to yeah. see him anymore. Or having him be like, well, oh, like there's these moments where like you're like, I kind of understand like what he was saying here. And then you're kind of like scolding yourself <laughs> being like, why am I saying I understand him? So I like that experience during a book where you're kind of questioning your own like, what am I doing here? Yeah, there have been some books and movies where I've kind of felt like that. This is actually kind of an interesting area I hadn't even thought about talking about, but sort of like the difference between. Okay, so track with me for a sec i'm sure you'll understand what i'm saying but like the difference between like moral complexity and moral ambiguity so like sometimes i'll read a book or i'll see a movie and like 
they're like, oh, we're exploring the shades of gray. And like, even the heroes are kind of irredeemable or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they almost justify evil in some cases. And I'm watching it or whatever, thinking this makes me uncomfortable because I feel like you are kind of holding up or justifying what is evil, mm-hmm. glamorizing it maybe. But, but, um, but I love stories that are morally complex in the sense that we're like, uh, I don't really, you know, I need to think about this or what's exactly. right, what's wrong, and explores kind of that stuff without holding up, I guess, what I would say is a bad, bad example. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I'm the same way. I don't want to be told what's yeah. good and bad and just be like, well, that's that. Like, you need to feel that way. It's like, I'd rather be like, huh, like, I want to think about that for a second. I've Probably. never yeah. come across that. Yeah. Dilemmas really always interest me. Yeah. Yeah. With characters when they have to choose not between a good and a bad thing, because that's easy. <laughs> just yeah, of course. <laughs> but when they have to choose between two things that are equally maybe uncomfortable and you're like, well, what do they do? And yeah. And like, what would I do in that situation? I don't know if you ever saw it. Like, okay. So one of the Spider-Man movies, I think it was, okay. I think it might've been, it was a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie back in the day. Oh, I used to love those. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, but I remember this scene at the end where like the green goblin has this uh, maybe cable where he's holding this cable car of all these little boy scouts. And then he's got like, um, you know, Spider-Man's love interest. And he's like, don't you hate it? The part, part in the story where they make you choose between saving the girl <laughs> and saving the little kids or whatever. And he like lets them both there go. Spidey has to figure out how to save them both. And, and I'm like, I always thought it was kind of fun because they're like, let's just have them say it. Like, let's yeah. literally just have the bad guys say, just, it there it is. you know, at this point in the story where you have to choose. And like, yeah, like this is the time when I'm supposed to hold up the two things that there's yeah. no clear choice here. And so here we all just have them say what I'm doing, you know, like that stinks, huh? <laughs> so, um, in your uh, in okay so you've done a lot of research on true crime mm-hmm. and um so how important in fiction is authenticity and accuracy for you know describing maybe a crime scene or uh you know victim or, or victimology things like that i think when it comes to that stuff especially like crime scene stuff and for me like morgue stuff mm-hmm. autopsy things it was really important to me to try to maintain as much accuracy um, as humanly possible. So I tried to make sure I researched every little detail of what could happen. Um, But I think with other things outside of that, you can be a little looser because you are creating a world. So it's like, if you have to bend something that's inconsequential, Mm. that's okay. Like I, there were, there were several places in my book where, I like made up a place in New Orleans because I was like, something terrible is going to happen here. So I don't really want to put poor <laughs> random, you know, restaurant on the right. map. So if it was something like that, I would be like, okay, I'll just make something up or make up a street so that we don't yeah. have to worry about people like driving down a street to find this thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I've done some of that where I'll say something like, you know, just down the road from, and then I'll mention sort of something people are familiar yeah. with. That'll make up the place there. But, oh, I know where that is. And whatever. <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist. Years ago, um, there's this guy. I was doing like a radio uh, interview with someone from uh, California, I guess. Anyway, he'd gone to San Diego 
to see this um, aquarium from one of my books, The Rook. And he's like, I was like, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why are you mad at me? I'm just here for an interview. Like what? Because I went to go see the aquarium and it doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> you went to see the aquarium from my novel. Like, I made it up. Of course it doesn't exist because it's a novel and I made it up. So that you know, was kind of, it was a little crazy, but I mean, hey, I mean, he believed it. So yeah, I was going to say you wrote it really well because he was like, I have to go to this place. Over the years, you know, well, I'm sure you're hearing from readers for your book and, and your podcast and everything, but sometimes readers will write to you and they'll be like, I really love this or I didn't love this, things like that. Mm-hmm. Me, like the Maybe like the best compliment I ever got on my crime books was this guy wrote to me and he said, I've been a detective for 17 years. And when I read your books, I feel like I'm at a crime scene again. Ooh, yeah. To me, I was like, literally, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because for some reason he had felt that texture, that um, the mood, you know, could kind of feel that that it was present. Yeah, and that so would I be the highest compliment. I think I pat myself on the back for that one. So you you seem like so pleasant to talk to, and yet <laughs> you do a show called Morbid, <laughs> and you write chilling stories and explore true crime. And uh, how does that work? Like, is there like a super dark part of you that just wants to emerge or what's this? I think, you know what it is? I think I'm just like, a, I don't, I don't understand me either because I, <laughs> I've always, like I said before, I've always been into like horror yeah. and spooky things. And that's always been the things that have interested me the most, but and that's why I got into, you know, um, like becoming an autopsy tech because yeah. it fascinated me and that part of it always fascinated me. So I think like most of my life is like filled with like dark, spooky things. But then yeah. it's like I have three daughters who are like all into Disney princesses, and like <laughs> you know, are like the most bubbly, happily, like pink glitter girls uh-huh. ever. Yeah. So I think it's like a nice little, I have a nice little balancing act. That's good. I'm happy in both worlds. <laughs> when, um, when you were a kid, did you ever have people tell you scary stories? Um, like at sleepovers or long van rides, things like campfires and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. I did too. I always, I kind of loved to be scared, yes. but not to be like left in the darkness, like at the end. No. You know what I mean? Like, so they couldn't sleep or whatever. Yeah, I love the feeling of being scared. Yeah. Why, why? Like, I love haunted love houses. Yeah. I'm a huge, like, every Halloween, I'm like, as soon as haunted houses open, I'm like, let's go. Oh, like, funny. that is my, but, and I remember I used to love um, scary stories to tell in the dark, those mm-hmm. books yeah. by Alvin Schwartz and the Stephen uh-huh. Gamble draw, drawings in there. Oh, my God. Like, those are my favorite. Yeah. I, um, I remember like, hearing some stories urban legends i guess you might call them when i was a kid and they're still around today like oh yeah all these years you know some of those stories you know people will tell it and they'll be, well of course they think it's the first time i've ever heard and i'm like of course i was around like many years this is ago real. whenever yeah. I, you know i was a kid and stuff but. like the calls coming from inside the house mm. you know the, the hook scratching at the car door like all yeah. those things come back in some way I know. And I wonder, I mean, I've read a little bit about that. And I mean, some people say they're kind of like warning stories, you mm. know, about 
don't be alone, know who you're going out on a date with, just different things like that. But, but um, I don't know. I think sometimes it is, it's the, I don't know, the twist, the cleverness, the pivot at the end, wherever you're like, oh, didn't see that coming. Yeah. I, those to me tend to be memorable. Oh yeah. I love those. I love a good twist. If <laughs> do it's <you> done have, right. <laughs> when, um, how do you do it right though? That's a good question. That's the hardest because <laughs> it can't come out of absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. I feel like, because then it just feels like it got shoehorned in there and you're like, what, what? <laughs> like, how does that connect to anything? So I think it's so important to like have those really tiny breadcrumbs oh, yeah. that you feel maybe you can see it while you're reading that you're like something's off here but I don't know what and then when the twist comes you can go oh and then it easily connects yeah but if you don't I, have that easily connected trail then it just feels like it's like just splattered on there just to make it like whoa look at this yeah there's um I mean I feel like there's a difference between a twist and a, like a shock or yes a jump scare kind of thing or whatever where it's like absolutely yeah where you're reading um you know your story and suddenly like um someone jumps out or, or you're watching a movie or whatever and it's like okay well that was interesting for a moment but it's not really super satisfying yeah but the twists whenever you read the story or you watch a show and you're just like you get to the end you're like what i so didn't see that just like what you just said you're like you think back to all those breadcrumbs you're just like oh that's my favorite seen it but i didn't but (laughs) i'm glad i didn't you know we're glad that that. yeah when you can look back and go oh my god that one scene now i get exactly why that happened like that's my favorite thing is when you can do that i think that people tend to kind of Walter in one direction or the other, like one, it's not believable. And okay, so let's just say the twist comes and like what you said, there's no breadcrumbs or whatever. And suddenly we, we read it and we're like, that's unbelievable. Like it seems to come out of nowhere, like you said. And yeah, uh, so, and it's outlandish or it's coincidental. Oh, well that's convenient. You know, you know, exactly. Or on the other hand, where it's too predictable, you know, where you're like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, it goes there. And you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, man. You're just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> no, it's this interesting paradox where we want to anticipate or guess where a story will go, but we want to be wrong. Yeah. We want to be wrong, but still satisfied. But we, yeah. we don't want to guess, you know, 50 pages in who done it in a story. We want to know, like, that there's going to be twists and turns along yeah, the way. Yeah, you need a little stakes along the way. So when you write, do you tend to know, okay, the mystery first or the solution, maybe? In other words, like to write a story where there are uh, mysterious events and chilling twists and things like that, do you tend to kind of know them beforehand or do they kind of emerge as you, you know, write? So that's a little bit of both, but I would say I definitely, I always know the mystery first and I rarely know the ending Oh yeah. first. And usually I let it kind of play out a little mm-hmm. bit and I see if I can kind of solve it as I go. Cause yeah. I feel like then I kind of feel like it's the characters and me are solving it as we go. And I feel like it feels more authentic to me because you organically come to the end and you're like, Oh, I, I figured that out. So it makes sense that this person would figure it out. That's interesting. That's the same term I use for organic writing um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, people are like, okay, I 
some people plot out a book or outline it or template, use a formula, whatever like that. That doesn't really work for me. So yeah, that as I'm writing, I'm literally like, I do not know how this is going to end. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you figure out how it ends and you got to tie, you know, put That's clues the fun part. Whatever. But, <laughs> but yeah, but like that journey of not knowing is yeah interesting. Like the last book I wrote, I've been working on for like a year. So I sent it in a week ago. Oh my gosh. I was so Congrats. happy. <laughs> but like five days before I sent it in, I didn't know how it was going to end. Like oh my I God. Didn't have an ending. And so <laughs> like I had this deadline coming up and I'm like, I don't have an ending for this book. Like I knew some things would have to be true about the ending. Yeah. The main character is going to survive for another book or, you know, th- different yeah. things that would be like the main honest. thing. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know like what the final twist would be and stuff like that. And, um, and so on the one hand, it's a little scary, but it's also really pulls me into the story. Like mm-hmm. I want to know how this. Yeah. Book that's ends. exactly how I feel. Yeah. It makes it more fun to write because I'll, I'll do the same. I'll have, I like to have like a scene that'll come to me and I kind of build around that scene. And then I just kind of figure out how to get to that scene from another scene. So it's like, because it's more fun to write for me that way, the things I really want to write. And then I figure out how to like kind of build those around. Yeah. I, I kind of do the same. Like, I feel like if you're sort of passionate about a moment Mm -hmm. story, you know, some people will be like, oh, that moment doesn't happen for another hundred pages or something. So I'm not going to, I'm like, no, literally when you have a fire for it, like, why not write it? And then you can always leave, you know, before and after it. Um, Because it makes getting there more fun. If you're waiting to get there, you're going to slog to get to that scene because you just want to get to that scene. But if you have it already, then you can make the in-between more fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of storytelling is promise keeping. So like early in the story, we kind of make promises by maybe implied promises or um, maybe stated promises. Mm -hmm. But but then, you know, a lot of it's keeping a promise. So sometimes when I'm writing, I'll like think of a promise or something, something that I know has to pay off later. And then I'll just work on the payoff scene at the same time. Yeah, both in my head, you know, even though I know one's going to happen way at the end of the book and I'm sure it'll be changed some by then, but that, but that at least get that foundation. Feels, yeah. It feels like honest in that to do that. Um, yeah, I agree. So what inspired you to write this, this latest novel, The Butcher and the Wren? So I've always wanted to write a book. I just never really thought I had the uh, the patience or the <laughs> perseverance to get through an entire one. Because I was like, I don't know if I can stick to a whole story for that long. Like, that seems very daunting. <laughs> but I ended up, um, it was when I was pregnant with my twins, actually. I was having these, like, really vivid dreams, like, weird vivid dreams. And I had this one nightmare one night. And I could, like, I swore I was there. I was, like, running through this, like, weird swamp. And there was someone behind me. I couldn't see who it was. There was weird, like, music blasting somewhere. It was just, like, this very weird, chaotic dream. Uh And when I got out of it, I, like, have a little notepad next to my side of the bed because I, like, randomly write my dreams. And I just sat up and wrote it, like, everything I could remember about it because I was like, that was just so weird. I have to tell my husband John tomorrow. Like, I have to tell him. So when I was looking at it the next morning, I was like, 
I don't know who that guy was. Like, who was that guy that was chasing me through like a swamp? And like, what swamp was that? I'm not near a swamp. And so I just started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to like fill this out a little bit. Like, it's just interesting. I just want to know. And as I started filling it out, it just kept going. And then I was like, (laughs) I need to know more about this. And I need to know more about him. And where did this take place? And to me, it was like Louisiana. That's where it was. And it just kind of exploded from there. That's pretty interesting. Every time I've tried to write down what I dreamed about or like think this was amazing, I'll totally use this in a story. The next day when I look at what I wrote, what was like, what? <laughs> this That's nine times out of 10. Mike. I know, right? Usually it, like purple chair in space. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? What on earth? Like what? People, yeah, people ask me like, well, do you, you know, do you get ideas from dreams? And I'm like, I wish I, because like in my dream, I'm terrified. Yeah. Like I'm like, or, or whatever, maybe not terrified, but, but yeah, like super scared, intense. I wake up. I was like, what? You're like, what was that? <laughs> um, I was doing research for one book and I found out like the most common nightmares. There are three that are the most common nightmares. One Mm -hmm. is being chased, like what you just mentioned. One of the scariest. Yeah. And one is falling, where you're scared of falling. And the other is like having the nightmare that you like forgot about a test or showed up late Mm -hmm. for a test or didn't remember that you had like this um, class and suddenly get to the end of the semester. I never went to that class. Yeah. Is that one of the three main nightmares? That's got to that? be some weird, deep psychological anxiety kind of thing. That just I literally don't know. And what about people who've never gone to school? Like, yeah, their third nightmare. Yeah, what is their third nightmare? I don't know. That is weird. Yeah. See, I always have the the nightmare that I have like consistently is watching a plane crash. Oh wow! And I would love to know what it means. I still don't know what it means, but I it's a recurring nightmare. That would be shocking. Right. That's the, I'm not in the plane. I'm just watching it happen. I do have some recurring nightmares when I think about it, but, and they're very vivid. I do have really vivid dreams. Me too. Yeah. A lot of creative people kind of tend to have have be troubled. We're very troubled. (laughs) We're troubled people. (laughs) A highly caffeinated and very troubled people. Yeah, both of those are very true. (laughs) So tell us about your story a little bit. Anything you want to share um, about the novel or, you know, kind of what intrigued you about this story? Absolutely. So um, it takes place in New Orleans and around Louisiana. Um, There's just something about, like, again, like the texture of that place that to me is like inherently like haunting and spooky, like, you know, the bayou and just like New Orleans as like a city just feels like really cool and haunted and (laughs) so historic to me that I was like, I have to do it there. It's just like one of my favorite places. So I was like, I got to do it there. And I wanted to have a story about, you know, a a female medical examiner because we don't have a ton of those. Like one of my favorites is, you know, Kay Scarpetta from Patricia Cornwell's novel. Like I grew up reading her and I always wanted to be Kay Kay Scarpetta. (laughs) So I wanted to have her and I wanted her to be, you know, like a real person. Like I didn't want her to be a superhuman. Mm -hmm. I wanted her to be flawed. I wanted there to be times where you were like, come on, Ren. Like, (laughs) like, why did you do that? Or like, why did you say that? 
And I didn't want it to be like the classic, you know, detective that like smokes 18 packs a day and is divorced. <laughs> and, you know, I mean? like I wanted to make it a little different. So I wanted to make sure these relationships were like real and they felt real and they felt like relationships that you could relate to. And I wanted to have a villain where you were always feeling some type of way about him. Like he's horrifying. He's almost irredeemable in every way, but there was that, but that you just can't stop yeah. listening to him. And it was important for me to put you in the heads of both Ren and Jeremy. That's why I did, um, we, we did a dual point of view. Mm -hmm. So every other chapter is Ren or Jeremy's head. And I think it's interesting to see, I, like there's certain scenes that I wanted to do the same scene, but from both of their points of view, because those are two different yeah. minds looking at the same scene. That is interesting. Did you, when you were doing that, did anything surprise you from either of their perspectives? So I know sometimes when I've been writing in someone's point of view, suddenly they'll think something and I'll be like, where did that come from? Yeah. But it's honest to that character. When yeah. you reflect on it, you're like, okay, well, I mean, that's what they would think or whatever. Yeah. That I actually, I love when that happens when, cause yeah. like you, you know, when you're writing from a point of view for so long, like you, you have to like really put yourself there and be like, now I'm, I wouldn't think this, but like this person is thinking this. So every once in a while, something will come out that you're like, oh, okay. Like, but yeah. yeah. That's him. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Bob Dagoni, says that the characters you create are not you, but they are of you, which I think is kind oh, of, I like that. you know, it's like people will be like, well, how do you write a serial killer or whatever, or a terrorist? You're like, how do you climb in their mind and stuff? I'm like, I just ask, what would this character naturally think and do? And I yeah. just cut the leash and let him do it. Like without That's exactly what it is. Like cut yeah. the leash and let him do it is a perfect... Yeah way of saying yeah it. and it's startling for me sometimes what they want or do, yeah but it feels honest more honest to me that way than try to um wrangle them in and get them yeah you have to like unhinge your own mind a little bit how does your expertise in telling a good story work in with your podcasting i'm interested in that I would say, I mean, because we tell stories, I mean, obviously about real people. Yeah. Which is a, a different way of telling a story because I think it helps in the way that it we can keep ourselves respectful mm. and keep it like with my storytelling in a book, I can like go a little more like prosy and over the top and like really settle into all those sights and sounds and feelings. But when you're telling a story in the podcast, I think it actually helps that it helps to tamper it down instead of trying to build it up. <laughs> and I feel like in the podcast, I can tamper that down a little bit and really tell this person's story the way it is and not add my own little bits and pieces into it because like this is a real person. So I think it's helped also keep it with like when you're telling someone's story, we want to tell, especially if it's a victim who's been murdered, mm. we want to make sure we're talking about them. And who yeah. they were before this thing happened to them and not just here's this person and they got murdered. Let's talk about what happened after. It's like, let me tell you about this person so you yeah. can feel the way that I feel about this person. So when you find out what happened to them, you're going to be outraged and want to either do something or you're just going to honor their memory kind of thing. That's good um, because it really respects, I think, the dignity 
uh, and worth of someone's life. Like, yeah. not flippant about if someone died. I mean, that's. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. And telling it in a way that honors them, you know, um, my first novel, The Pawn, has to do with one of the subplots has to do with the um, Jonestown massacre back oh, yeah. in the 70s. Right. And so I was able to track down one of the three people who was still alive, who'd walked down and survived. Wow. The Jonestown uh, tragedy. And so um, he was a little reticent to speak to me at first, but I was like, look, I want to portray the people there as like on real people, like yeah. bring them dignity and not honor. just a story. Yeah. Like not. Yeah. And so we talked for quite a while and, and a lot, I used a lot of his insights in the book, but, but I said, could I um, dedicate the book to your wife and your son who oh, I love that. killed there at, you know, the Jonestown massacre. Oh. And, um, and, and, uh, he was like, at first, I don't know. And I was like, he's like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, because your story matters. And that's what I put to, I think I'm trying to remember their names because it's been almost 20 years ago, but, um, but anyway, I listed their names and then I said, because your story matters. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. I feel like that's super important. It, you know, when it does, that's the thing. Victims, their story does matter. Their story matters huge. It needs to be told or else. Yeah. Where did it go? Yeah. So, so I really respect that you do that in your, Thank you. in your podcast, your storytelling. Thank you so, very much. So, um, well, I, I mean, this, I've really enjoyed the conversation. We're going to wrap too. up just a little bit. Um, but I like to, I don't know when I started a couple months ago, I started asking two questions at the end of the interviews and they're not gotcha questions or anything. It's just interesting, <laughs> you know, for me, but like, okay. So the first is, what is one novel besides yours that everyone should read before they die? Ooh. Yeah. Like, is there one story where you're like, oh man, people need to read this, whether it's maybe famous or not famous? I mean, I would say I have maybe, I think I have two. Okay, cool. I, yeah, I want to hear what they are. The first one is like, The Great Gatsby is like one of my favorite books of all time. That's like my, like, you have to read that book. <laughs> like, I just love it. And I, in fact, I think I, I, I have a quote from the great Gatsby, like tattooed on my arm, oh my but <laughs> yeah. So I love that book. Um, also I would have to say one of my other favorites is Stephen King's. I'm trying to narrow it down. Right now. <laughs> Which I one? love a Stephen King book. Yeah. I love Salem's lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that's one that if you're into like, because I would say The Great Gatsby is like an all around. You need to read that before mm. you die. But Stephen King's Salem Lot, Salem's Lot is definitely like, if you're into horror, uh -huh. you like scare, like read that to see like true, to me, that was like true horror. Mm. Like I was physically scared reading that book. I read it when I was way too young. So that probably had <laughs> to do with it. But even now I'm like, it holds up. I just love that book. That's very cool. I, it's so interesting that you listed The Great Gatsby. I've had like two other guests in the last maybe six weeks who've said that as their book. Really? Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Amazing because I I mean, now I, I need to read. I'm sure I read it many years ago, but I don't remember as much. So I need to yeah. read it again. And, and I grew up reading Stephen King. Um, I kind of read especially loved his short stories. Oh, um, me too. Like I read most like every one of his collections of shorter stories. Um, mm -hmm. 
So there's so yeah. many good ones in there. Yeah, no, I love. Like, I love the body too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so many good stories. Um, yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Cool. And then the second question is, what is the one thing you wish you could tell your younger self? Let's say back when you were a teenager. Do you have any words of wisdom to whisper back through the years? Oh yeah, for sure. I would definitely tell my younger self like like don't try to fit in with everybody because that was a huge a huge sticking point with me was I was definitely weird <laughs> and I was trying to fit in and it was not working and I and it was like devastating to me at the time and now I'm like oh no like little Elena it's <laughs> all right like every like, being weird is going to be totally fine later like everyone's going to want to be unique later and you you know, just hang That's tight. Cool. I like that. <laughs> well, um, okay, good. So any other closing thoughts for um aspiring authors um out there as far as shaping or telling stories? I love some of the stuff you talked about, like the texture, really having an emotion toward the character, whether you love them or hate them, stepping into their shoes, allowing mm-hmm. twists to come. All those are great words of advice. Thank you. I, yeah, I would say all of that, obviously. And then also, you know, use things around you if you need help with that stuff. Like if you need more texture with sounds, like listen to sounds. Like I listen to cicada sounds really loudly at points just to see how unnerving it was and like what it would make me feel listening to that in a, in the dark. Like I started thinking about like, what would this sound feel like in the dark where I don't know where I am? What would it make me feel? What would my body do in reaction? That can help you be in that moment. And also just like, write. Like, even if it's yeah. just like, even if it's just like nonsense, just get it out. Sometimes yeah. it's like clearing the pipes and you then the good stuff will come. But I've had a lot of people ask me like, I, you know, I've been wanting to re- write a book and blah, blah, blah. And every time they say, I'm like, then do it. Yeah. Just do it. Like, don't, don't think about it. Don't put like anything on yourself to do it. Just do it. Like do it how you want to do it and you'll figure it out. No, that's good. I agree. Elena, <laughs> um, super enjoyed the uh, conversation and um, too. Uh, thanks for, thanks for being here and just for your work. And uh, so tell us where if people want to connect with you um where can they do that online maybe if you're doing a book signing or also tell us about your podcast a little bit too before we close up oh yeah um yeah you can you can find morbid anywhere you listen to podcasts we also me and my co-host do um a horror movie podcast with our friend caleb called scream where we just talk about horror movies and it's kind of fun um and we're we're also doing a rewatcher podcast where we're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer over again, <laughs> just like going through that. That's been a fun one. You can find all those anywhere, um, especially they're they're through Wondery. Hmm. So you can also my personal stuff. You can I'm really only on like Instagram. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I, you can find me at Elena to the Max. So, <laughs> and the book you can find most places. It's through Zando. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash the butcher and the wren if you want to find it. Well, no, that's great. So I encourage everyone who's listening to check out your podcast for sure. Thank and you. check out the butcher and the wren. You know, if you if you like a scary story um and uh, you want something that has great texture and great <laughs> and um 
good storytelling. So, um, so thanks again. And also thanks to Thank our you. listeners. Yeah. Uh, for everyone who's tuned in, um, for information about our other guests, you can always check out our other interviews at thestoryblender.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can click to the Story Blender. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcast. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next Thank time. Thank you. <laughs>